It is a great grace day. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. If you are new, we are glad that you're here. We are going through the book of Ephesians verse by verse, and today we are in chapter 2, verse 1. This is a new passage. It brings to light the grace message. Paul was a great preacher. You want to know why he was a great preacher? Because he was a grace preacher. Do you know why I'm a great preacher? Because I'm a grace preacher. And do you know why every day is a great day with Jesus? Because every day is a day of Jesus' grace. So that's why every day of your day, every day you live should be a great day because it's by God's grace. You didn't deserve to be here. You did nothing to put yourself here. As you're going to learn later on, grace is a gift of God. Every good and perfect gift has come from God. So don't get it twisted. Anytime you see something that's not good and perfect, you can just say that's not from God. But anytime you see something that's good and perfect, that's from God. Husbands, just look at your wife and say, you're by the grace of God. You are my grace gift. Come on, why say the same thing towards your husbands? Look at your children. Look at your friends. They are good. They are good, and God gave them to you. God has blessed us by his grace to be upon this earth and to flourish to have a wonderful life. Now, where does all the bad come from? That comes from sin and the devil. So where does death come from? Sin and the devil. Where does wickedness come from? Sin and the devil. Where does everything you see on the streets, from the White House to your house, to the hood, to the penthouse, come on from downtown to your town, where does all the bad come from? Sin and the devil. You live like the devil, you get the results of the devil. So when we look at God, we see his grace. When we look at God and see his face, we see his grace. If you seek God's face, you'll have the grace of God every day of your life. Seek God's face more than his hands because what is in his hand will come from his face, from his countenance. But if you just come seeking his hand, you'll never know his face. You'll never know his heart. God wants you to know his heart. God wants you to know his face. And God's got grace all up on his face. Amen. God will show you the treasures of his grace. Those of you who are here today and you're saying, I'm going through all these problems. What's God going to do for me? Well, the first, pro uh, the first problem that you have is you don't recognize there's a problem solver, and that's Jesus. So what you need to do is come to him and say, thank you, Jesus, that whatever problem I'm facing, you're already the problem solver. So don't come to him asking him, what you going to do for me? No, come to God saying, how are you going to do it? God, how are you going to do these wonderful things for me? It's not a question of if, it's a question of how. How is God going to provide for you today? How is God going to give you peace in the storm? How is God going to ease your conscience, build up your life, cause you to be blessed upon this earth? Come on, somebody say God's grace. Thank you. Let's look at this passage. We're going to read all 10 verses, but I want you to read the first verse because that's the one we'll be preaching out of today. Verse 1, 1, 2, 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. How many are glad it does not end there? That's the bad news first. We're going to get to the good news later, but that is a part of our passage. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So when I hear people saying to me, oh, pastor, the devil's working on me. Well, my friend, you probably disobedient then. Because the Bible says the one that he really works on are the ones that are disobedient. So if you're saying, man, the devil's working overtime on me, you need to quit that job and stop letting him work on you. You need to get away from the devil. Amen. Now, does that not mean the devil doesn't attack us? That, that's not what I'm saying. The devil attacks the Christian because we're going against the flow. But listen to that terminology. The devil or the ruler of this world, he is working, working in those who are disobedient. So you think that God is not working in you? You don't see God. You see the devil. You need to get born again. Because, yes, God works in our lives, and, yes, the devil can come and try to stop it, but the devil can't stop what God has started. See, now that will just, see, that will set some of you free. 
See, but some people don't want to be free. Some people, let's just be honest, you want the devil to keep working on you so you got an excuse. So that you have something to complain about. But those of us who are done with the devil working on us, we fired him. We said, you're fired, devil. You can't come and do this no more. We took Jesus at his word that by the power of the cross, Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. Somebody look up that passage for me. Jared, get it for me quickly. I want to put it up right here in 1 John that Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. I want you to see it because I don't think some of y'all believe that today. I wish I could talk a little bit about what I see on Facebook, but I don't want you to think I'm too nosy. But I do be stalking you guys a little bit. I do be checking out what's going on on Facebook. And there was quite an interesting feed that happened. Thank you. That happened this past week. And uh, all that happened, all that happened this past week was that somebody put up a scripture that said, those who are born of God will not continue to sin. That was it. It was really just 1 John 3, 8. This was it. And it was just a portion of it because it didn't keep going. It just said a portion. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Oh, no, no. It wasn't this. What, what did you put up, Ish? I want to know that verse, and I want to come to this verse. You got me the right verse, but I want to go to the one you posted. I think it was 1 John 3, 9, wasn't it? I think it was the verse right afterward. Yes, this is it, but double check with me. This is the verse that my brother put up that caused such a commotion this week. No, it wasn't 3-9. Tell me which one it was because then it says 3-6. There we go. Watch this, guys. I don't want you to tell, to, to tell you what post to look, but people started sharing Ishmael's post. And it said, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. This is the Bible here. You understand this? This is not my opinion. <laughs> this is not what Pastor Joe thinks. This is the Bible. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has ever seen him or knows him or has known him. How many believe that scripture? Can I hear an amen? I want to tell you what somebody wrote back to that. I'm going to get a little bit more sassy. I'm not going to tell you who it was, but I want to tell you what somebody wrote right back to that. I totally disagree, exclamation mark, right under the Bible verse, right, this, right under the Bible verse. There, there's no comment, there's no description, there's, there's just a Bible verse, 1 John 3, 8, as a meme. And this is what the person writes underneath it, I totally disagree, exclamation mark. So if you live in him, you never sin again? Not true, exclamation mark. Even pastors, priests, and people who claim to live in God's sin, exclamation mark. First of all, do you believe the Bible? Let's just talk. I don't care about priests right now. I don't care if Father Tom's going to hell. Are you listening to me? I don't care if Jimmy Swagger's going to hell. I don't care what anybody else. I'm just asking you, do you believe the Scripture? Do you believe, look, I got translations up here. Do you see all these up here? I got a bunch of NIVs right at the beginning, but I can just go right here to the King James. You want to read it in the King James? It has nothing to do with the translation, my friend. Look, look at it right here, 1 John 3, 9. Here it is. And you know, oh, yeah, 6, here it is. Whoever abides in him, what? Does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known, nor known him. Now, let's see. You want to see a modern translation? Let's go to the New Living Translation. No, let's go to the Amplified right here. Let's hit up the Amplified so you guys can see this, see if you think we're making stuff up. No one who abides in him, who lives and remains in communion with and in obedience to him, deliberately, knowingly, and habitually commits, practices, sin. Y'all confused or are you getting straight on this? Let's go one more time. Anyone who continues to to anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. If you keep on sinning, do you understand who God is? Okay, one more translation just to help wake you guys up today. This is a paraphrase right here. There is no sin. Let's go back up here a little bit. Let's go to, uh, let's go just because it's a paraphrase. It likes to make it a little bit, uh, it brings all the verses together. Surely you know that Christ showed up. Somebody say, he showed up to blow up the devil's work. Okay, come on. Somebody say, he showed up to blow up the devil's work. Okay, surely you know that Christ showed up in order to get rid of sin. 
Did he show up in order that you could keep sinning? Did he show up in order that you could just do whatever you want and get a get-out-of-jail-free card? No, he showed up to blow up the devil's work. Are you listening? There is no sin in him, and sin is not a part of his program. No one who lives deeply in Christ makes a practice of sin. None of those who practice sin have taken a good look at Christ. Woo! You better take a good look at Christ, my friend, if you totally disagree with this. You forgot who Jesus was. You're talking like you like hell. You, you are. You're talking like you like sin. You're talking like you still own the bad news of the gospel. As for you, you were and are still dead in your transgressions and sins when you talk like that. Can I read this again? Somebody say, it's the Bible. I just wish more pastors would read the Bible, amen. We'll explain it. We'll explain how Christians can sin, but the point isn't whether or not I can sin. The point is whether or not the Word of God says I'm not supposed to. That's just the first point. We can understand things later. We'll, we'll get the details later, but let's just ask ourselves, do we understand the black and white right now? I mean, do we understand it? I mean, I just want to read it in the New King James one more time, just, just in case some of y'all Polish like me and need it four or five times, okay? And I'm Polish, you know, I make those jokes on myself, right? Here we go. Whoever abides in him does not what? Sin. Whoever sin neither seen him nor known him. Now, what does this say right next here? Verse 7, little children what? Okay, say it again. Little children what? Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as the Father is righteous. So let's just stop right here. Before, before you all try to figure out how this lines up with your life, let's just ask ourselves, is this what we're supposed to be lining up to? Just right at, the, at, right at the beginning. Is this the destination? Is this the point of Christianity? Or is there another destination? Is there something other than this? Because you say, and many people like this person say it, they disagree with this. And only it's going to get worse as time goes on, as people see what this world promotes. And as we stand up against sin, they're going to make all kinds of excuses before uh, they, they just do away with it. You know, it's going to come a time where they just do away with it. And you can see already they're starting to do away with the Bible. They don't even want anything to do with it. But this person is a Christian. I'm a Christian. And I totally disagree with the Bible. <laughs> I'm a Christian. Well, my thing is, what kind of Christian are you? What kind of Christian are you? A Christian like Dolly Parton and Oprah Winfrey? Are you that kind of a Christian, or are you a Christian like Christ? I'm not following the gospel of Dolly Parton. Are you guys listening? I'm not following the gospel of, um, of, of Oprah Winfrey. I'm not following the gospel of man. I'm following the gospel of Jesus. Let's go back to this. Now, I told my wife today that these messages were going to be shorter because she's getting upset. I'm going a little bit long. She has to keep me in line, which is good. And I said, honey, it's, it's so simple. I said, this, these messages before, you know, I was on all of these deep concepts. This one is just on grace. It's going to be so simple. I haven't even, I've been up here, what, about 15 minutes, and I haven't even got to verse 3 yet. I haven't even read the notes yet. I haven't got to the picture yet. I haven't done anything yet. What have we done? Have you all learned something at least in these 15 minutes? Oh, that's right. We did, we did learn in that passage about 10 times what it means. Oh, we never even went to the one I went to that passage for. Because here's what it says. It says that, oh, the devil's working on me. That's a lie. Look what Jesus did. He appeared that he might destroy utterly obliterate the works of the devil. Let's go to that one, 1 John 3, 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the who? Is of the devil. See, the devil be working on me. That's right, because you are the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to what? Destroy the devil's work. So can the devil attack you? Yes. Can he work on you? Not as a child of God. Pick your side, friends. Pick your sides. Is the devil going to be working on you, crafting you into his image to live a life of sin? Or are you on the other side of that joker going into battle, lopping off the demon's heads with the sword of the spirit? Amen. Who in hell are you? Do they know about you down there? When you wake up and put two feet on the ground, they go, oh, no, demons, get ready. She's up now. It's going to be some terror for our kingdom. Or the, the demons get all excited when you get up. Woo, another one to possess, another attitude to get a hold of, another tongue to control. 
Who in hell are you? They knew about Paul. And of course, because Paul knew Jesus' name. But the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts, they didn't know who they were. They were fakes and phonies. I want to wake up in the morning and set that devil to flight. I want to be like David running towards Goliath. I am running towards you. I'm not running away from you. I'm not scared of you. I'm looking for you. I'm running towards you. And that's why we go street witnessing from the west side to the north side to the south side. doesn't matter. We go and preach the gospel to all people. Why? Because we know the devil's a liar. He's been defeated, and Jesus Christ will set everybody free. Amen. So look at this. I'm just going to read it one more time uninterrupted as best as I can. Help me, Jesus. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Everybody say naughty by nature. That is true. We were all born naughty by nature. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad in chapter 1 we learned about heavenly places? They're right here in our spirit and we're with God. And aren't you glad you learned about the age to come and who God is in the age to come, the ruling and reigning king through his church. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. What is it? The gift of God. One more time. What is it? The gift of God. Thank you. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me just exegete it really quick so now that you can go and study it. Read it every uh, day or once a week at least and prepare yourself for next week and the weeks to come. Memorize portions of it, if not the whole thing. Memorize a verse a day and then memorize 10 over 10 days, the whole passage. Let me explain it to you as you do. The Bible's looking at our past, saying we were born in sin because of what Adam and Eve did, and all of us had the devil working on us, and all of us by nature were deserving of God's wrath. So that means no one was born good, everyone was born in a sinful nature. And when you look at children, you understand that. And they don't deserve to go to hell because they cannot be uh, held accountable for that which they're not able to change. But the default of their nature is set to sin. For example, I know that no children worker back there in the church, nor my wife, has taught my children to lie, but they discovered how to lie on their own. Any parents know what I'm talking about? No one has ever taught my children how to back talk. Before uh, they were even able to watch TV, they would just be little toddlers, and the moment they started to talk, they could tell mommy and daddy no when we asked them to do something. Now, what does that prove? That proves the Adamic nature, that the parent must then train them in the way they ought to go. Because if you left the child in their own state of rebellion, they would just be a one level higher than a brute animal. They would, they would be living an, an immoral life. They would have no concept of their conscience. And so that's why we as parents have to instill in them the conscience, instill in them empathy, instill in them the things of God, which will come naturally to them because the image of God is still there. The thumbprint of the Lord is there, and it's meant to be molded to the things of God. But if we do not take serious the molding of their conscience, it can go towards their nature of sin. 
Now we learn that the whole world is this way, that before someone is born again, they are under the power of the spirit of the ruler of this age. Now this does not mean that every non-Christian is necessarily demon-possessed, but it means they're following the spirit of the age. They think the way the way the age does as if they were going downstream, down river with the age. So the age says these are our morals. The world goes with those morals. The age says this is what we believe in, and they believe in it. And whether it's you're, you're in India, you're in America, the spirit of this age all has one thing in common. It is moving away from Christ in the gospel. Little Wayne moves just as far, our young people, away from the gospel as Bollywood stars in India do. And as the dun, 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 those people juking at the Latino parties that I hear going on around here will move you just as far away from Christ as little way. It doesn't matter what flavor it is of sin. It is all sin. Imagine going to Baskin Robbins, but instead of there being 31 flavors of ice cream, 31 flavors of sin. The owner of the shop is the devil. The spirit of the age tempts you to get one of those flavors. If that's where you're at and where you want to be by desire in your heart, you're going to find those flavors that satisfy your flesh. And that's why it says the cravings of our flesh, the thoughts and its desires that it has. And so what were your flavors of sin. Those of you who are now Christians, you can look back at your life and you could say, these were my flavors of sin. Somebody may say it was gossip, it was envy, selfish ambition, greed, violence, sexual perversion, homosexuality, um, uh, self-loathing, hatred of oneself, etc. But all of us, somebody say all of us lived among them at one time. All of us. So no one is exempt from that. And then in the following verses, God now gives us the remedy. The remedy is Jesus coming in the flesh, living a perfect life, sinless life, dying on the cross, taking our punishment, the wrath of God, and raising again as a new person with a new resurrected body, having the resurrection power to give everyone who believes in him that same new life. Everybody say new life. Now, when I, mean, I, I say person, I mean a new flesh. His flesh was different after he rose from the dead than the flesh he was given from Mary. The flesh that he had after he rose from the dead could walk through walls and ascend to heaven. You will have a flesh like that, but first, you must be born again of your spirit before you get a resurrected life. Can I hear an amen? And that's what it's talking about because when you believe, you're raised with Jesus right now in your spirit and unified with him. And then in the coming age, as it says in verse 7, he now shows you off to the universe. When we are given the resurrected body in the coming age after judgment, every all the angels see us, what the children of God look like. All creation sees us, and the devil and his angels see us. So you become a trophy of grace. Everybody say a trophy of grace. Thank you. And then we see that it's that grace that saves us, not by our works. So we're saved to do good works, but it's not the works that save us. So it's not that I get saved by telling less lies, going to church more, reading my Bible more. I get saved by putting my faith in Christ, realizing that I could do none of that to earn salvation. But what happens when I'm actually saved? The things that we just talked about earlier. The work of the devil is destroyed. Sin is destroyed over my life. And now I become the good work of God. I am the masterpiece of God. I'm the centerpiece of his creation. Can I hear an amen to that? You think about going to weddings and there's a centerpiece at every table. Mankind born again in the image of God is the centerpiece of God's creation. And God plan these things in advance for us to do. How many know those 10 verses now? Come on, can I hear an amen? I've explained them to you, but I want to go a little bit more in depth. Some of this may be review, and, and, and a lot of you guys may say, I, I know some of these things, but I wanted to encourage you because it's not just information, it's transformation. You need to see this as the revelation of God, and it's not that we ever move away from the grace message. Like I said before, every day is a great day because of the grace of God. You never move away from this fundamental teaching about how we're saved and how we live. How many of you want to live a good life? Then you need the grace of God. How many of you want to avoid sin? Raise your hands. Come on, let me see how many you want to avoid sin. You need the grace of God. How many of you want to love your neighbor as yourself? You need the grace of God. There's not ever going to be a time where you're going to say, I don't need the grace of God. 
Let's just put it in a picture. Here we go. This is what it looks like before Christ. Sinful man is on the side of death. After Christ, we're with the holy God and we have eternal life. There is no in between. You're either hot or cold. Lukewarm doesn't count. Revelation 3.16 says Jesus spits the lukewarm out of his mouth. So there isn't an option of being in between. You are either in the place of death or you are in the place of life. Jesus Christ makes all the difference. There is only one God and, a, and, and one mediator between God and man, the man. Christ Jesus. That's why he came into the flesh so that he might do this for us as a man on behalf of mankind. God is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who took on flesh? The Father? Did the Holy Spirit? Who took on flesh? The Son. And why? The Bible says it, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What religions will tell you to do, including some offshoots of Christianity, like Roman Catholicism, Greek Orthodox, and some of these other offshoots, as well as cults like Mormonism and Jehovah Witnesses, they'll tell you there's a bunch of things you need to do here to get Jesus, and then a bunch of things with Jesus to get over there. That's why if you ask a Jehovah Witness when they knock on your door, just ask them into your house and say, I just want to talk about one thing. Assurance of salvation. Do you have assurance that if you were to die right now, you would go to heaven? They can't tell you that. And then you can show them in John 3.16, I have assurance of salvation. I know if I were to die, I would live on. Why? Because it says in John 3.16 that I have eternal life now. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says that I have been saved now. It says I've been seated in heavenly places now. I have salvation, new life, eternal life now. Everybody say ahora. In Spanish, now. I have it now. I possess it, the Bible actually says. And that's what the other uh, offshoots teach as well, Roman Catholicism. How do you know if you're going to go to heaven if you're a Roman Catholic? Well, you got to do all your sacraments. You got to make sure you're baptized as a baby. You got to be christened, and then you got to be confirmed, and then you got to make sure you go to the mass and take your communion. And then, if you're sick and dying, you got to have the blessing put over you. And then, you get, when, if you were to die, you got to be buried into a Catholic cemetery by a Catholic priest and be given the rites of death. These are all the superstitious beliefs that they made up to keep you in the religious enterprise. And it's no different than Bishop so and so talking to you about the devil working on you every week so he can fix you. Bishop so and so wants to. To keep you in the rat race of sin just as much as the Roman Catholic priest does. And it doesn't just have to be bishop so-and-so, but you know what I'm talking about. Ha! You're going to make it. God's on your side. I know the devil's been working on you, but God be working in you. Tell your neighbor I'm going to make it. That's just to keep the cha-ching coming in their pockets. And as I always said, now i got to make fun of the Joel Osteen. Well, hi, everybody. Jesus loves you. It's okay if you sin. I love you. No, it's the devil's a liar. It's the, it's the religious enterprise. It's what keeps you on the teeth to come back to get that milk. You're being breastfed every time you come in. You're never taught victory. You're taught that you're somewhere over here. You're, you're always somewhere over here. And this week we're going to get you over here. But then Monday through Saturday you're going to end back up here in death. And then I'll preach you happy here. Or, or I'll sell you a book here. Or I'll charge you $500 for a conference over here. And there's never any real glory given to God for salvation. And it sounds sophisticated, but it's wrong. It's stupidity, actually. It's stupidity. You are either alive or you're dead. And if you're alive, you are who Christ said you are. You can do what God said you can do. Now, you may say, Pastor, what happens when I'm with the holy God and I sin? Well, the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to feel a conviction of your sin. You're not going to make an excuse for it. How many know when you really got saved, I'm talking like saved, saved, you started to feel conviction for sin? When someone brought it up to you or the Lord did in prayer, your first response wasn't to argue but to repent, right? The response is, if it's a sin, then I'm sorry, I don't want it. That's the first thing. You'll feel true conviction. I can only tell you what the Bible says and how I've experienced it. If you haven't experienced it, then get saved like the Bible and then tell me about it. Because I'm telling you, I got saved, started sinning as a Christian, and God said, no, nope, you're not doing that. And he started to correct me. And what I didn't listen to privately, he began to tell publicly to people around me. And he checked my heart real quick. Do you want me or do you want sin? And I said, I want you. And he says, let me set you free from all of this junk, all of these lies. And he did. He kept his word. 
And as I've been living holy, I know that God is in me. So when I sin, I know that I've sinned. I'm like the first one pretty much to find out that I've sinned. Are you all listening? Because I have a relationship with God. Like he's more on it than my wife. Like he tells me like quicker than my wife does. Are you listening? Because like he's in the inside of me and he speaks to me. And so it's obvious to God that I've sinned. And if I'm just listening enough to him, making time to pray every day, because that's what Christians are supposed to do, I'll know that I've sinned. And guess what I won't do? I won't continue in my sin. I won't make an excuse to stay in my sin. So like a pebble could get in my shoe, but I'm going to get that pebble right out. Before that pebble digs into my foot, causes an infection, and then it begins to get infected even more to the point where I could have to get my foot amputated all because I didn't take a pebble out of my shoe. The Bible says the default place that the the Christian is walking on is righteousness. You're not supposed to be walking with pebbles in your shoe. Can I hear an amen? I want you to think about that passage as we learn just a few points today. But here's the message I want to give you today. Everybody say, born dead, made alive in Christ. Thank you. That's today's message. Next week, we'll learn about the ways of the world versus the ways of God. After that, cravings of the flesh versus the cravings of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. Cursed by works or saved by grace. And then in this fifth week of this passage, we'll learn about being God's masterpiece. Amen. What a wonderful thing to look forward to and bring your friends to. How many people you got in your life, you want to bring them here to see these messages and live by it. And we'll love on them. We'll just love them enough to tell them the truth. So think about being dead in sin. This is the contrast. Dead in sin versus alive in Christ. The person who is dead in sin is the one that's not able to please God. So it doesn't matter any good work that they do, they're dead in their sin. They cannot give God a reason to save them because they're already dead in their sin. They really are only making the problem worse. So it would be like you having anthrax in your system already or HIV or AIDS in your system already and you trying to give yourself a blood transplant or a blood transfusion from your left hand, from your left arm to your right arm. All that's happening is you're taking stuff that's here that's bad and the stuff that's here that's bad. There's no healing. And if you go to a another bad person, and sometimes you'll hear people say this, oh, they saved me, they saved me. No, they didn't. They, nobody can save you except Jesus. Your husband, your wife, your children, nobody can save you except Jesus would be the same thing. I have AIDS, you have AIDS. You give me a transfusion, I give you a transfusion. We both end up still having AIDS. You get that. The one who's dead in sin cannot please God. They are separated in their spirit from a relationship with him like the picture showed. But this is what they're able to do. Some may say, I'm able. And that's where we get the word responsible, responsible from. We are still able and responsible to admit our guilt when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit by the preaching of God's word. So some people like to teach that because you're dead in sin, that that means you can't respond to the things of God unless God forces you to or drags you in. This false teaching comes through a lot of different preachers, and it's subtle. And here's one of the ways that it will come across in a quote like this. I didn't have to do nothing to get saved. God did it without my permission. And that sounds spiritual, but it's really not true. God uses your free will to save you. Another way that it's said wrongly is somebody will will put it like this. When the good Lord is ready, he'll save me. When God is ready, he'll change me. That's a devil's lie as well. God has been ready. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You'll be held accountable for every moment that you've wasted. So when we look at the Bible and it says dead in sin, some wrongly want to put us as dead as Lazarus. And these preachers will say, see, Lazarus was dead. He couldn't do nothing for himself. All right, if I preach a little bit. Lazarus was dead. He couldn't do nothing for himself. But the Lord, mm -mm, give me a little help. I feel like preaching. See, Lazarus was dead. He was in a grave. But the Lord came and said, oh, Lazarus, come out. Now, that's how they want to say salvation is, that you were just as dead as a doornail, and it took God to wake you up and bring you out, and really there was no choice in the matter. But is that how the Bible describes spiritual deadness? Those who use that analogy of Lazarus are actually doing allegorical interpretation. They're making allegory of the Bible, meaning the story of Lazarus is not a teaching lesson of salvation. It's a story about a dead man getting raised to life. 
The actual places where the stories are made to teach us about salvation give dead a different kind of meaning. Let's look at dead like the prodigal son. It says here in Luke chapter 15, verse 24, as the father brings back the prodigal son into his life. Listen to what he says about his son who had left the house. He was still alive, but listen to what he says about him. For this son of mine was what? He was what? Dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So the dead of the Bible when it comes to salvation, it's not a person who cannot make a choice. It is a person who is separated from a relationship with their father. Woo, I needed some more amens on that. Honey, you got to let me preach. Where's my wife? You got to let me preach a lot longer now. I don't know if you guys got that. Dead spiritually doesn't mean you're dead, not moving. Doesn't mean you don't have a free will. Dead spiritually means you are separated from God. That's what it means. Here's another passage directly from the book of Ephesians. Look at what it says. Ephesians 5.14. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Well, hold on. If I'm dead, how can I be told to get up and respond and do something about it? Because the one that is dead is in the same position as the one sleeping, according to the Bible. When you see somebody sleeping and you try to wake them up, they can pretty much do one of two things. They can slap you, push you away, say, leave me alone, I'm sleeping. Or they can get up and say, let's go. Now, what kind of person are you in the morning? Excuse me, my wife sends the kids to wake me up because those are a lot easier to talk to. Hey, Daddy, wake up. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting up. Like if it's like my wife, it's not so gentle. Honey, it's time to get up. I'm trying. Leave me alone. But she sends in like the little one. Daddy, it's time to wake up. You could just, I'm so serious. You could, and we set it like that because that's the alarm that I like. That makes it a little bit easier to get up. But see, it's a matter of choice, isn't it? It's a matter of choice. The dead one, the sleeping one, has a choice. Just because sinners are dead in sin and unable to please God doesn't mean they can't admit their deadness and repent of their sins when convicted by the Holy Spirit. So listen to me. If you're a sinner here today, wake up, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Come back home to the Father, and he will celebrate you. You are dead to him now because of your sins. You are sleeping now because of your sins. But Christ is calling you back. Yes, it does come by the grace of God. Faith is a gift. The Word of God is a gift. Your life is a gift. But it's up to you to whether or not you receive Him. Now, it just makes common sense that if that's how it works, then I don't have to always be saved then either, right? I can go back to sleep if I want, right? I'm not once saved, always saved Him, am I? No, because sometimes I tell my kids what? Daddy's getting up. I'm good. I'm good. And I go right back to sleep. Did it today. Slept for about another five to ten minutes. You can walk away from God. The prodigal son who was considered dead as he left and came back, if he wanted to, he could leave again, couldn't he? And put himself in the exact same position he once was in, considered dead. It's not rocket science. The Bible is the greatest book given to us, and it's one of the most easiest to understand. The depth of it can go on for ages. Don't get me wrong. There's depth to it, but this is basic. So all those without Christ, they're dead in their sins. That's the way they are right now. If you're here today, you're dead in your sins, but you have a choice. The kind of death you have is a separation, and your father's saying, come back. He's waking you up. It's up to you whether or not you want to do it. And now all of you here who say, I'm saved, stay saved. Stay awake. The Bible says, stay awake. Watch out. The times are going to get bad. The end is near. Jesus is coming. Be of a sober mind. The Bible also says, shine brighter and brighter and brighter as the sun does from the morning to the full light of day. 
That's what the righteous are like. So that's our choice. How many want to start and finish with Jesus? Come on, say, I want to start and finish with Jesus. And the Bible says, according to your faith, it will be done. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. So you don't have to worry about coming to heaven being half done. God completes the work that he starts in you. So you're saved by grace. Now watch. You're kept saved by grace. And you are raised from the dead, delivered from death once and for all by grace, forever to rule and reign with Christ. Some may say alive with Christ. So that's dead in sin. We can be made alive in Christ. It's very simple now, isn't it? It doesn't take a lot to really figure out. We've already hit on the main points that by grace the sinners are made alive with Christ when they place their faith in him. When I place my faith in Christ, I'm brought back 2,000 years to the moment of the death of Jesus and the resurrection, and that's applied to me. It would be as if somebody left you an inheritance 2,000 years ago and then gave you an express card today and said, every time you spend money on this express, an American Express card and you bring me the receipt, I will take away this debt because of the inheritance that was given to you 2,000 years ago. Now we know that that would require a mediator. That would require some kind of a lawyer to hold on to that money. And we know that today who mediates the blood of Jesus and the righteousness of Christ is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit present with us is Christ within us, making real the deposit of our salvation. Can I hear an amen? So all that Jesus says comes to pass by the Holy Spirit. So when I pray and ask for forgiveness, I receive the forgiveness purchased by Christ. Christ 2,000 years ago by the Holy Spirit instantly, and I'm born again. And any time I sin and I confess my sins to Christ, the Holy Spirit instantly applies the blood of Jesus to me and washes me clean. But I have to be faithful in Christ Jesus. You remember the first verse of Ephesians? It was in February, but how many remember the first verse? I preached on it in February, but hopefully you're still reading it. You should read it every day. You could take 20 minutes a day and read the book of Ephesians, or at least do it once a week so you can be prepared for the study here. Look at what he said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. First verse, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the what? Come on, say it again, the faithful in Christ Jesus. I didn't just have faith the day I got saved. I've had faith every day after the day I've gotten saved. Some people ask, Pastor, what sins do I have to commit to come out of Christ? No, that would, that's not how it works. Because if you can sin your way out of Christ, then that means you can do good works into Christ. You didn't do good works into Christ, therefore you can't do good, uh, bad works out of Christ. You came in by faith, and it's by faith you leave. Can I hear an amen? I want to show that to you quickly. Romans 11 says it's by faith how you came in, and it's by faith how you come out. And so I want you today to trust God that he'll always do his part to save, to redeem, to do everything that people put their faith in him to do. Somebody say faith is a choice. Amen. Faith is a choice that we have to make every single day to remain in the faith of God. Is it just my computer's acting weird? Okay. I'll, I'll see if I can. Uh, oh, here, here we go. Look at this. Uh, um, Romans chapter 11 in closing here. Verse 17. If some of the branches have been broken off, and though you, a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive tree, do not consider yourself to be superior than the other branches. If you do consider this, uh, if you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say, then branches were broken off so that I could be gra uh, grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of what? And you stand by, okay, so people get broken off. It's this thing of a vine and branches. Branches are getting broken off and thrown into hell, and, and people are freaking out going, why are these people who used to be good now going to hell? And it's saying, well, because now they're in unbelief, and you stand by faith. Now watch, don't be arrogant, but tremble, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Everybody go, hmm, I'm considering that. Yes, God is quite stern, but he's also very kind. Do I want his sternness? No. 
I don't want his sternness, so I'm going to stay in belief. I'm going to be faithful to abide in the vine. Amen? Amen. Praise God. And then we see in Ephesians 1.13, once again, these were from the, the springtime. We learned these passages. Paul tells us again to be faithful and that when we put our faith in Christ, that's when we're really saved and we must continue in that. Look at this, Ephesians 1.13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. So when was I included in Christ? When I what? Believed. When I had faith. Same Greek word, pistio, is faith and believe. You were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So how does salvation come? Through the Father, by the Son, through the Holy Spirit. Does everybody get it? So how do I know now today that I am saved? There is no doubt in my mind if I were to die, I'm going to heaven. How do I know? Because I've been marked by the Holy Spirit. I've been stamped by him. He has said, this one is mine. I'm stamped. How many of you have the confirmation of the Holy Spirit? You're saved. And how many know while you're saved, if you sin, that same Holy Spirit convicts you? And he does his work in you to keep you and to have you be righteous and to stay righteous. Can I hear an amen? That's the work of God, isn't it? Now, some people get confused, and they say, well, isn't that a work? And couldn't I get that credit on the day of judgment for having faith? And that's not true. Having faith in God is not a work of the law, nor is it done in human effort, Romans 4, 5. Faith is a gift that can be received when a person is given grace by God through the working of the Holy Spirit, and the gospel is preached. So the faith is a gift, and it's considered not a work because it's given by God, and when you receive it, you can't even take credit for that. So what do you take credit for in salvation? Nothing but trusting God. Nothing but simply trusting Him. And so the illustration is like this. You're drowning. You're in the middle of the ocean. It is impossible for you to save yourself. And someone throws you a life jacket. It is up to you to hold on and to put it on, or you could throw it off and die. If you put on the life jacket, are you going to get back up and they lift you up with the helicopter? You know, you put it on, zip it up, and they lift you up there. Are you going to get into the helicopter and go, man, I just saved myself. Did you see me out there? I was awesome. Put on that life jacket. I zipped it up. Then when they zipped me up there, I just, oh, I just hung back. Like, did you see that? I saved myself. No, imagine you being in a pit 100 miles down, made of glass. There's no way to climb. 100 miles down, no way to climb. And someone comes down with a rope, same thing, latch on, zip you up. Would you come up out of that 100-mile pit and go, look what I did? I put that clip right here. Look at it. Man, I did clip, clip. I saved myself. Is that what you would say? No, that's not. What, and the Bible teaches us that's what true salvation looks like. It's just putting in the clip. That's why nobody can ever say they did this themselves. This is not something that you do yourself. Look at Romans 4, 5. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as Oh, I need a bigger something than that. Come on. However, to the one who does not work, not trying to swim and save yourself, trying to climb up the glass wall, but trust God, clips it in, who justifies the ungodly, their faith, their trust, their clipping it in is credited as what? Righteousness. Righteous and then this means you have it and you live in it. Don't just, well, there, there went my righteousness. You just had it. Well, yeah, I had it for a minute. Where did it go? I don't know. It just went. No, I have righteousness. I have righteousness tomorrow, righteousness every single day. I'm clipped into Jesus. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Let's think about this as we get ready to go. Everyone is born naughty by nature, but only those who put their faith in Jesus are born again in the divine nature. Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus in his word today. Jesus. Let's have the band and altar workers come. We're going to get ready to dismiss. I'm going to ask you just to pray right now. 
If you haven't been born again, ask Jesus to come on the inside of you and make you a new creation. Be saved by faith today, not of your own works, but by the grace of Jesus. Those of you who are saved, just simply ask the Lord right now to keep you in faith by grace for the rest of your life. For him to complete the work that which he has started. That you will be the masterpiece every day of your life that he created you to be. The good works will flow from you. Two people in this room, the lost and the saved. I pray that everybody leaves out saved. Saved by grace. You're either dead in your sins or you're alive to Christ. Are you still naughty in your nature or are you in the divine nature? Make a choice. Those of you who have already made your choice, just start to worship him right now. Think of three things in your life that you want to do by the grace of God because you're alive today. You're in a relationship with the God of heaven and earth. Pray them out right now. Those three things you want to do with the Lord. You want to do these things with God by his grace. You want to raise your family, work a good job, be a part of a church, set goals for your children. By God's grace, you are the workmanship. You are the workmanship of God today. In Jesus' name. Now before we go, if you're saved, just confess this with me. I was born naughty by nature but I was born again into the divine nature one more time I was born the first time naughty by nature sinful wicked a child of wrath oh but thank you Jesus I was born again in the divine nature the nature of Christ holy righteous blameless if you believe it, say amen and give him praise in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say amen. Hallelujah. Give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. 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 As we get ready to dismiss, I'm going to have uh, Chris pray for us. If you need prayer for anything, and you can keep coming right now, we want you to come. Otherwise, enjoy your day, the fellowship out there in the cafe. Go ahead, Chris. Lord, we thank you so yes. much for your grace. Come God. on. We stand here and praise you, God, for yes, what you Lord. have done. We had nothing to do with it, Lord. That's but right. By your love, by your goodness, by your Come on up, even mercy. as he's praying. Come God, on. You moved in us, God. Right yes. now, we receive your grace. We receive your love. We That's receive right. your mercy. There is no greater father than Woo. you. No greater love than yours. Come on. And may every moment we think of it, every day that we wake up, that we go out here and we give the same love. In Jesus' name. Give amen. it up one more time and say amen. Bless the Lord. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Have a wonderful week. Come up for prayer or worship. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Thank you. God bless you.